You're listening to the More of What Matters podcast, honest conversations for daring women. So I really work with parents in understanding how to regulate their own emotions in order, I feel like that's most of the battle, right? And then they're able to be more present with their kids. They're able to sort of access that problem solving, right? When we're stressed out, when we're depressed, when we're anxious, we don't realize how much that distorts our perception of things. Hello, welcome to today's episode. I'm Andrea Olson, and today you're in for a real treat. I sit down with Dr. Nicole Pensick, who is a Harvard and Yale trained clinical psychologist. She is most passionate about helping moms thrive in motherhood and reach their full potential. And I think what you're going to hear in today's conversation about high functioning anxiety is that many people suffer more than they should. And that was really my biggest takeaway. And I want to give you the chance to listen, uh, jot some notes down, comment with your biggest takeaways. I just found her work to be so on par with what I know so many are experiencing. Her research and career has focused all around the caregiver well-being. And so it's so interesting now that her work ties to mothers. Of course, today's conversation is not only for moms. We talk about high-functioning anxiety in lots of ways, but centered around the experience that many of us have around taking care of others and how high-functioning anxiety can kind of propel itself more when we are not aware of our own needs as well. So I can't wait for you to listen to this episode. Let me know your thoughts and share this with someone who might need to hear it. Hello, Dr. Nikki Pensick. Welcome to the More About Matters podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Andrea. I'm so excited to be here. Oh gosh, I'm the one that's excited. I have actually been thinking about this conversation ever since we first chatted and the topic of high functioning anxiety is it's pervasive. I feel like it's everywhere I look now since we've talked about it. And maybe that's a signal that it's important that we dive in. So before we do that, can you give us a little bit of history on your background? Um, obviously where you began this journey and what you're doing today and maybe some things about you personally too. So people understand a little bit more about you. Yes, sure. So I'm a clinical psychologist and I started out in health psychology and medical psychology working in you know, the burn units and with very severe medical illnesses. And it was really rewarding to me to find out early on that even amidst dire circumstances, we could improve quality of life and improve mental health symptoms. So that's sort of where I started out. I also loved the fast paced environment of working in medical hospitals with integrated teams and doctors and being able to educate them on the mental health components that occur with a lot of patients. Um, and so fast forward, you know, my academic career in research took me uh, through a lot of different medical populations and oncology specifically. And since, you know, working in oncology and working with caregivers, so after getting that really strong academic background and bouncing around from you know medical hospitals and academic medical centers, I actually transitioned to private practice fully. And that's where I really love seeing patients one-on-one -on -one, and it's much more broad. So I specialize in treating high-functioning anxiety and depression and uh, OCD, postpartum, 
And so it's been really rewarding to sort of treat those conditions that are not recognized in uh, like inpatient hospitals or medical hospitals. They're, it's more subtle. And we should make the disclaimer, obviously, that we are not here to give medical advice or any sort of diagnosis. Right. This is a conversation about it. Um, mm-hmm. And really how it came about was a friend connected the two of us. And in talking to you about areas that you're really passionate about and also areas that a lot of people come to see you about, this topic mm-hmm. was so high on the list. It felt really necessary. And I, the more I started to dig in, the more questions I had for you. So I'm going to just jump right into the question I have first, which is, can you just explain what high-functioning anxiety is in comparison to other anxiety? Sure. So high-functioning anxiety is a more subtle form of anxiety on the outside. You can't always see it, but you're really suffering on the inside. So it's not recognized in textbooks or diagnostic manuals. Um, In comparison, when we think about clinical disorders like anxiety and depression, we typically look and see where it's interfering with functioning. High-functioning depression and anxiety don't interfere with functioning. You see moms, adults walking around and they're able to, you know, complete their jobs and get everything done. However, if you scratch the surface a little bit and hear about, you know, what's going on in the inside, right? They typically have uh, distorted thoughts, are highly self-critical, are anxious, white knuckle things like they get through it, but they're not thriving. They're not enjoying things as much as they could be. Um, Typically, there's some interference with sleep. There can be uh, some just racing thoughts and worries, uh, but it's just, it's, it's subtle. It's subtle. So I see it all the time in my practice where patients come to me and they don't realize how much they actually are suffering. They just think this is normal and they've adapted to functioning in this way. Is it possible that they've had that going on in the background for as long as they can remember? Is that pretty common or does it develop? Um, It depends. You know, definitely right now we see a lot of high functioning anxiety in adolescents and teens, especially since the pandemic. I mean, that's, you know, been pervasive and just increasing. Um, And, you know, with the trajectory of anxiety, any sort of stressful life situation can make it, you know, ebb and flow. Uh, so it may be that it was sort of, they were getting along earlier fine, but then increases in stressors and developmental stages and life changes, um, brought it out more. Right. So it's, you know, it's, it's hard to say because it does go kind of under the radar a lot. Yeah. I mean, someone might themselves not even realize they have it. So that's true. What would somebody, what would you recommend somebody do if they were concerned that they did? Like, what would you say would be the next step? Definitely get an assessment from a professional, a psychologist or a mental health professional that specializes in treating high functioning anxiety because you, you know, you're, most of my patients don't know that they have it, I would say, and let the doctors do their job. You don't have to try and figure it out. If something just feels like it's more challenging or difficult, we tend to see a lot of distorted thoughts, um, perfectionistic thinking, um, you know, feeling like they're failing, right? And just black and white 
thinking and it really just uh, interferes with everything and it filters their perception of things. But you don't have to figure it out on your own. You can go to the professionals. Can you describe the difference between perfectionism as it's, you know, as it's laid out and how we think of it and high functioning anxiety? Because that doesn't necessarily mean someone has the other, right? But what would you say are the key differentiators? So when we think about perfectionism in our field, we think of it as uh, avoidance of failure. And so anxiety, typically the behavioral response to anxiety is that we avoid, right, what makes us anxious. So this is one form of how we avoid. And so when you have this perfectionistic thinking, um, you're going to great lengths trying to avoid any sort of failure. And we see this a lot in teens and in parenting right now. I mean, there used to be helicopter parents. We've now moved on to bulldozing parents. And there's a great book about it uh, by Jonathan Haidt and Greg Lukianoff, uh, The Coddling of the American Mind, which speaks to this. And I write about this a little bit in my book. But um, we've gone to basically removing obstacles from our children's path to protect them. Good nature, right? As moms, as parents, we all want to protect our kids and, you know, and save them and not see them suffer, right? But we go so far right now in this generation to remove obstacles that we're neglecting our kids and help and not allowing them to build resiliency and to learn from those experiences. Uh, and so that's where, you know, some of the perfectionism can, can come from in terms of not being set up or equipped to manage failure and failure can really be our greatest teacher. And so it's, it's, it's necessary for development. For sure. You mentioned a couple of things I want to just ask about to touch on. You mentioned high functioning depression, just real mm -hmm. quick. Is that, sure. is that as common or is one more common than the other? I would say they're both common. High functioning depression, it does, so clinical depression, it's like you're laying in bed all day or, you know, you just can't get through your daily activities. Your mood is really low. In high functioning depression, there's this undercurrent, you know, where you're just kind of getting by doing, you know, your daily activities. You can work, all of those things, but, you know, your mood is low. It kind of feels like you're drowning on the inside. Um, but you're keeping it all together on the outside. And so that's a terrible feeling. There's definitely treatment. Um, and so absolutely reach out for help. Yeah. Okay. So how does high functioning anxiety evolve from day-to-day -day worries, thoughts creeping in to becoming something bigger? Like how does right. that evolve? That's a great question. I mean, there's no shortage of things to be worried about in our, you know, current society and world. Um, and so I would say when you're preoccupied, right, by something, you can't get it off your mind or you have trouble, you know, being present, um, you have trouble getting enjoyment out of, you know, things, engaging with others. It's not really to the point of interfering with functioning, but it definitely you know, it's just, you, you just don't feel good. You're, you're not able to enjoy life, you know, despite all of these stressors, very real stressors that are going on. I mean, it's natural to have some anxieties about it. What's important to remember is that there, we have more control than we think over our internal mood management. And there are ways to 
feel better and thrive even amidst the chaos out there in the world. And that's, I think, circling back to where I really started out and what is the theme of my work is that I love the challenges of amidst these, you know, very real medical problems, these very real cultural challenges, you know, the mass shootings, COVID-19, um, you know, you know, I could go on and on. Yeah, yeah. Um, there's still a way you can be depressed and anxious on top of those things that can make those things worse. And so it's sort of, um, it's, it's, it's a really nice challenge for me to be able to work with clients and patients to figure out in those nuances, how to really help them improve their lives and thrive, even when there are terrible circumstances going on. For sure. So do you see an increase in high functioning anxiety now than in the past? I don't know. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. Yes. And when people come in largely, do they know, or is it, is it, you said it's more undetected when they come in and it's discovered through the conversations and the process? Yeah. Right. So a lot of my patients don't know and I, and I'm educating them on, wow, so you really are suffering, but you're used to a high level of suffering for whatever reason. I mean, that could be, you know, life circumstances, they're, you know, a parent or a mom and they're just, they just have to keep it together. Or it can be, you know, deeper, more pervasive, uh, stemming from early childhood dynamics that feel familiar and they just have more tolerance of suffering or struggling and they're used to it. And so, you know, we can get into some of that deeper work as well. So you talked about parenting and as both of us are parents, I, I want to ask this question. What, what do you see are some really great strategies to help our kids? I mean, you can never protect them from everything. You can't even protect them yeah. from their innate possibility of struggling with anxiety or high functioning anxiety or depression. But what do you see are some really great strategies that parents can actively do, proactively do um, for their children? So I actually had to have a different take on it where I really focus on the parents taking care of themselves and their emotional needs to be able to tolerate what's going on with their children. I think parenting starts with parenting yourself, right? And so managing your own emotional response. And a lot of parents, you know, can have... Uh, perfectionistic tendencies and want their kids to fulfill something or to act in certain ways and that can come out. And so I really work with parents in understanding how to regulate their own emotions in order. I feel like that's most of the battle, right? And then they're able to be more present with their kids. They're able to sort of access that problem solving, right? When we're stressed out, when we're depressed, when we're anxious, we don't realize how much that distorts our perception of things. So if I, so I teach them skills in the moment, mindfulness, um, you know, deep breathing, relaxation, some thought work, uh, reframing thoughts into more adaptive thoughts, checking in with themselves, um, and really understanding, you know, what is triggering inside them, you know, tend to your own triggers, tend to your own stress response. And I fully believe that parents uh, can have more access to creative problem solving, to figuring it out in the moment. It's not like a, it's not a script, right? right. It's more like you can do this. You just have to prepare your mind and body to figure it out. And when we're anxious and depressed, it's a lot harder to problem solve. You know, we have tunnel vision. We can't see past it. 
So what it does is it opens the mind. It allows more access to the brilliance that I know is in, you know, all parents, right? And so I just want to help them access their inner inner tools and strengths. Yeah. It reminds me of Marie Forleo talks about everything is figure outable and it it makes mm-hmm. complete sense when you are in that space to be able mm-hmm. to do that. So much of the time we create limitations around being able to do that just because we've set these parameters of what we have access to. And I, I completely understand it. It's like not getting enough sleep, not taking care of your body, not mm-hmm. eating right, um, paying too much attention to the news, paying too much attention to social media, whatever it is for you. Mm-hmm. And those boundaries you have to set for yourself to be healthier because no one really can set those for you. I think what works for someone might not work for someone else, or it might not be the right balance. Is that what you find too? Absolutely. Absolutely. And as you were speaking, I was thinking, you know, this doesn't mean that everything will go well, you know, when, when you're able to regulate your own emotions and be present with your kids. I mean, they're still going to have tantrums. They're still going to like throw the block at the TV. They're still going to have meltdowns. Right. Um, And so it's not about, you know, having that perfect uh, experience because you're regulating your own emotions, but it is able to sort of tolerate the the broad range that is all of the experiences that we have as parents and being more accepting of ourselves, you know, in that process. I have several friends who kind of have shared with me that they feel like motherhood brought them into this space of feeling more anxious all the time. Do mm-hmm. you often hear that? Often. Okay. So in terms of especially high functioning anxiety. Uh, So when we become mothers, our brain actually becomes more anxious. That is biologically protective for taking care of, you know, a baby, a child, right? So we're meant to anticipate danger, right? So our brain is programmed in that way. So biologically, it's kind of working against us. What happens is that it can go overboard, right? Where we're hypervigilant, scanning, making sure we you know, plan for every uh, challenge or, you know, quote unquote danger, right? Um, and so this is so common and and a lot of what I do in treatment with uh, patients to work on this because, and you know, it's interesting, obsessive compulsive disorder is sort of characterized by this hypervigilance and protection, uh, protecting and uh, rituals to avoid danger and bad things from happening. And that's, that occurs in 11% of mothers, right? But in the general population, it's only present in 2%, right? So we can see this really strong biological contributor to programming mom's brains to be more anxious, right? And what happens when it goes too far in one, in, in one direction where it becomes maladaptive and really, you know, causes a lot of distress. And a lot of moms think, oh no, I have to do all of this stuff and this is what being a mom is. And, you know, when you are the primary caregiver, you have this primary maternal preoccupation. You are responsible for the child's safety, right? And that can be either one parent shared between caregivers, but it is a heavy responsibility. However, same thing with high functioning anxiety, right? There's still some room there, right? Where we can, we can tease that apart a bit and make it a little easier for you to manage. So when someone becomes a mom, and I know that this is something you're wildly passionate about because you wrote a book and we'll talk 
I think I'm going to have to have you back to talk about the book because that's mm-hmm. a whole other topic. Right. I'm so excited. It comes out next year. Yeah. Um, but when you talk to moms, especially those who really know they're struggling with high functioning anxiety or anxiety in general, what are some of the first tools that they can use at, at home for themselves that you suggest they implement? Right. So I am trained in cognitive behavioral therapy, which is an evidence-based approach for symptoms of depression, anxiety, OCD, uh, PTSD, you know, a a lot of different um, mental health conditions. And so I typically give them very real strategies. So, you know, deep breathing, relaxation, it's the five, seven, eight breath. You breathe in through your nose for five counts. You hold, you pretend you're filling a balloon up in your belly with air hold for seven counts and then release all that air uh, for eight counts, five, seven, eight breathing. Uh, What that does is it sends fresh oxygenated blood throughout your whole body. You can't be physiologically relaxed and anxious at the same time. I recommend they start doing that as uh, a, a habit for three to five minutes twice a day, not when they're particularly panicked about anything, but when they're actually more relaxed in the beginning so that their body learns because it's really hard to learn when we're anxious. And so it sounds simple, but most of us were walking around well, we breathe very shallow breaths from our, from our chest. Right. But when you do the breathing correctly, um, it, it's just, it, it can really calm physiologically calm your system down. So that's just one of the first basic ones. I also teach uh, different mindfulness exercises, some brief some brief ones that I can just share here. Yeah, that'd be great. Um, you know, there's the five four three two one method where you just name five things you can see, four things you can touch, three things you can hear, two things you can smell, one thing you can taste. But for example, when you do the the things that you can see, you actually look at the object and notice things about it that you haven't noticed before, right? It's not just naming things that you can see, but it's engaging each of your senses and bringing into your pres- bringing yourself into the present. You know, they say anxiety and depression are disorders of time. Anxiety, you're worried about the future. Depression, you're worried about you're you're thinking about the past. You're ruminating about the past. When we're present, there's, uh, you know ideally no anxiety and no depression. So the goal of mindfulness is to bring you into that present moment where you can just be right. And so that's a quick strategy. Another quick strategy is to close your eyes, do the deep breathing and listen for the most distant sound you can hear for a couple minutes. So what you would do is listen further and further in the background for more, you know, for different sounds. It could be the hum of the air conditioner a car driving by, a bird, right? I've had a patient tell me that, that you know, they, they hear airplanes, right? So you just kind of really zone in on your senses. Uh, and that helps get you out of your head, out of this future worry, out of this depressive state. Um, and then also some distraction techniques. Uh, these are very practical, simple tools. This is not therapy, right. but they are strategies to help you know, cope with certain things and to shift your thoughts and mindset. And so the, the other distraction one I, I, I love and my patients love is that, you know, we take a, a book or a newspaper or a magazine and you go line by line and you circle every other A. It's really hard to worry and do that at the same time. And so <laughs> you like may it might do, be hard to do that at all. <laughs> well, yeah, well, yeah. exactly. So, yeah. but I recommend you just do it for maybe 20 minutes and 
you notice where your thoughts are, if you're still worrying, you come back to it, right? But it's a, these are like very quick strategies just to get you in the habit of checking in with yourself and bringing yourself back into your body instead of in your preoccupation or, or anxious state. Your, the word notice reminded me of uh, something someone shared one time that I was listening to, and she talked about noticing a thought mm-hmm. and paying attention to it, understanding mm-hmm. that it's there, and mm-hmm. then deciding if you want to adopt that thought as your own or mm-hmm. speak truth to it, right? So in this case, it might not be fully inaccurate, but there might be things about it that aren't mm-hmm. fully true. And is that a part of high-functioning things? I, like, do you find their mind is racing a lot? Yeah, someone who is struggling with that. I mean, they can have very real worries, right? And so it it becomes what you know how how much does this interfere with their just ability to enjoy life, um, and to and to be present and to engage. The noticing of a thought, though, is that is that a thing? That is a thing, absolutely. So um, that's a that's a part of acceptance and commitment therapy, where we accept the thoughts coming to us. We notice it's a thought. Thank you for coming. You 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 know you sit with it. You accept it. You don't ruminate about it or have a thought about a thought like, oh, why am I thinking that? Or I shouldn't be thinking this. Or gosh, I'm so, uh, I can't, you know, I can't believe I'm thinking this way or whatever, you, you know, where you have that thought on top of, you just allow yourself right. to have the thought and allow it to also, you know, leave or stay, but like, just don't heighten it, right? Don't make it worse, yeah. right? It's a lot yeah. easier if we can accept that our brain is going to have a ton of thoughts, disturbing, intrusive, whatnot, um, but our brain is wired to focus on the more negative ones but they're just the they're thoughts like any other thoughts we just don't focus on our positive ones right but they're the same they're both thoughts so true and I just want to say you know if you're listening to this and you're like gosh they've touched on a lot of things that I struggle with or I just want to I feel like I want to say too like some of these things I think a lot of us struggle with and so it's knowing when is it interfering right because I think like limiting beliefs and negative self-talk and things that are ordinary. Like our, our brains, like you said, are wired to protect us from threats. And so some of that is going to also keep us from danger, but some of it's self-proclaimed danger, right? So I think right. I just want to say that in case someone's listening and goes, well, I struggle with all of those things. It, it may be good to consult with someone, but it also may be true that, you know, we all kind of have variations of, some of these areas that we're more aware of than others. Absolutely. I mean, it's all on a continuum, right? So, um, you know, these are very real human experiences, right? But if you think that something's off and you feel that something's off, just get an assessment, check it out. I mean, no need to like sit with it. You know, if you feel like "Mm, something's not right or I just feel like I should be enjoying this a little bit more or mm, I just can't get this off my mind. Um, Yeah. Check it out. No, I love that advice. Thank you. Okay. So I have some more questions about you because Mm. I think it's always just so interesting when people come on. What specific skill set do you find yourself using more so than you ever thought you would in the work you do today? I think really giving my patients practical tools and strategies that they can use in real time. I think most most patients, you know, come to treatment wanting to feel better, right? And so 
while I'm trained in cognitive behavioral therapy, which provides a lot of those practical strategies and things to do in real time, I'm also trained in other modalities to look at, you know, deeper inner conflicts and interpersonal dynamics and childhood um, issues and, you know, all of that stuff. Um, and so I, it's like every patient, I'm starting off with the cognitive behavioral therapeutic approach, which works effectively. And you kind of want to decrease symptoms to help them get into the deeper work. So I guess I'm surprised that pretty much everyone wants those practical uh, skills, like right, like immediately. Yeah. And some of it is our society of like, I just need something to help me right now. Like right right now, I need, right. And I think also that's a good thing because to be motivated to want to take action is a Mm -hmm. sign of something positive can come from that. So I think, you know, Mm -hmm. it makes sense. Absolutely. Absolutely. What did you, I know you have a family. What did you underestimate about having this, you know, rich work life, very demanding career in some sense, because obviously it's just very dynamic and constantly changing and a family like what did you underestimate or did you, um, did you even underestimate that? But what does that look like for you? So as I mentioned in my academic career, I had a lot of time to have stretches of reading and writing and being creative with science and it was uninterrupted. (laughs) And then I think after becoming a mom and having a family life uh, and, you know, just, you know, a a big life in general, um, it it becomes much more interrupted and getting used to that, those smaller chunks of productivity at a time. Um, And also learning that I can't do it all at the same time, you know, and I have to really uh, protect my brain and protect my boundaries in terms of, you know, I get really motivated and I tend to want to take more things on, but I've really learned to be mindful of that and actually learn to say no more and really be thoughtful about how I spend my time because there's just less of it. Oh, totally. Yeah. I can absolutely relate to that. Yeah. What about your work is most rewarding in this season that you're in now? just really being able to help uh, patients feel better and get through very real mental health symptoms. And I mean, that's always rewarding. It's always the best part. Um, And especially coming off the pandemic, where there have been, you know, increases in anxiety and depression, um, and trauma, it was really a global trauma. I think getting getting through that and helping helping people, you know, at this end really, um, you know, thrive. That's, that's really, yeah. That's amazing. It's such important work. And I'm so glad that you were already in that line before you got there, because obviously it was needed Mm -hmm. as soon as, you know, things started to open up or even before then. Yeah. What matters most to you right now in life? My family, definitely. (laughs) And obviously like, you know, you spend a lot of time working and with family, how do you integrate the two? Like, when do you feel like you're doing your best work with integration? Oh, that's a, that's a great question. Um, well, so right now I'm doing all telehealth, right? So I'm able to be in my home office, which has made it really convenient in this stage of parenting because my kids are little. And so I can be in and out between patients 
So it's like I could get a lot of work done and then in the next moment I can go hug my kid or read them a story or play with them for, you know, a brief amount of time and then get back to patience. So I feel like that has been really a blessing coming from, you know, you know, from, from the pandemic, we all went remote and, and a lot of us are still doing that. So that's been, that's been really great in terms of just being able to be home and in and out with the kids at at such a young age. Yeah. It's like a silver lining, even amidst all of the crazy hard. Yes. Um, And I love to ask some kind of more fast paced questions at the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, What's a part of your daily routine that you would just never skip? Coffee. And and mostly exercise. (laughs) Coffee before water or after water? After water. I I am a hydration expert. That's also a a hidden talent of mine. So, (laughs) How many beverages do you have in front of you at any given time? Oh my gosh. Right now I have three. I have, uh, if I'm just pulling what's on my desk, an immunity shot of lemon, turmeric, ginger, cayenne, and black pepper. Then I have... um, a seltzer. Okay. Yeah. And yep. And I go for a Diet Coke once in a while. I have one just for an added kick of caffeine. Um, I get it. Oh my gosh. Well, you're balancing it out with the turmeric. Yes, exactly. <laughs> oh my gosh. I love it. Another perk of working from home, I will say, is having easy, simple access to the refrigerator. Um, what's something you wish that you were actually asked about more often? Wow. That's a great question. Well, I wish <laughs> that people would ask more about the strengths of mommy brain and maternal brain changes. I mean, obviously that's, you know, what I write about, but but I but I wish that people would ask me, what are the what are the what have you noticed uh that became better after becoming a mom, right? So we focus on how hard it is and it it absolutely is, but how did it make like what advantages to the process? have you noticed or have you gone through, right? What are some, you know, what, what brilliance did you experience? Right. So, so yeah, just to throw that in there, obviously. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot and ask, will you come back and do an episode on that? Because that's something that absolutely all need. Absolutely. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad I asked then. <laughs> I would have never known. Uh, what are you most looking forward to in the next 12 months? Traveling. And spending time with my kids, you know, the summer is coming up really, really excited to be outside with the kids. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Mm -hmm. you're in New Jersey. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Long winters. I get that. Yes. Uh, Right. (laughs) Exactly. So been holding on. (laughs) I know. Seriously. You've been brave through all of this. Um, What's a guilty pleasure of yours besides the Diet Coke and all the seltzers and beverages? Um, uh, Reality television. Okay. Do you have a favorite? Um... I do. It's usually Housewives. Yeah. New York or uh, I think Beverly Hills, but yeah. 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 So when you watch them, are you like, oh my gosh, they need to work this out. Like this is something they need to actually talk to. A hundred percent. I am like, a, I'm still in therapist mode. I'm diagnosing. You should, I shouldn't, but I, yeah, mentally, yeah. you know, in my head, I'm diagnosing uh, a lot of the characters. And I'm also like, wait a minute, I see how we can fix this. And there's yes. so many like misinterpretations and, uh, and, you know, also pathological, uh, yes. you know, and character- some acting going on yeah, and, and acting. Right. Yeah. So, uh, well, it's, yeah, it's all <laughs> acting, but, um, but yeah, I'm totally, 
I'm totally looking at it through that lens. For sure. I don't, I think that's actually some of what makes it fascinating is most mm -hmm. of us, I think are looking at it through an interpersonal lens, like to mm -hmm. some degree yes. going, Oh, I would never do that. Or, Oh my gosh, like I wish that was my life or, or I'm so glad it's not my life, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. I, I think it's a, a reason it is for a lot of us. Okay. Yeah. So what's something that those who know you well would say you're exceptionally passionate outside of your work, maybe separate from your family too. Cause I'm sure everyone knows that too. I know. <laughs> Um, well, I think just creative projects. So I love writing, I love painting. Um, and I, well, you know, I love the beach. So, <laughs> so you, love that that, you love a good tan. You love a good tan. You know, I love the sun and I love the ocean. I've just always been drawn to the ocean. So I don't know. Does that, yeah. does well, that where, answer the question? Where are you traveling this summer? Uh, we're actually going to, my husband and I are going to Italy this summer. So we're really looking forward to that. I'm going to South Carolina next week. Um, yeah, we just have some, and then we have some little trips yeah. planned, you know, with the kids and whatnot, but yeah. I love that. You need to do it. It's like what you talked about, yeah. taking care of yourself as a parent. It is so, so necessary. Okay. Last question. What's something you're not passionate about, but you have to do anyways? I think if you ask any therapist or psychologist, they're going to say uh, administrative tasks. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that's just, you know, it's something we have to do, but it's definitely not fun. And that's like charting and, and recapping notes and all that. Yes. Is that okay? Yes. Yes. Any sort of administrative task yeah. that has to do with, uh, yeah, yeah. So documentation and whatnot, notes. For sure. Yeah. That doesn't sound like why you would get into that line of work. So. No, sense. but it has to be done yeah, every day. Absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you so much for taking the time. This has been a really fascinating conversation. I'm sure it's going to reach the right people. And I just appreciate your time. Thank you so much for having me. Really appreciate it. It's great. Okay. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. To me, this was one that I walked away thinking about for many days after recording. And so I'm recording this message now thinking, I want to make sure people know that there are so many ways to explore your own needs. And if you think talking to somebody is the right thing, then I hope you find the encouragement in today's episode to do that. There are so many places you can go for that and also know that there's lots of people you can trust for opinions and ask their opinions. So a good recommendation, I think, is always so powerful. But also just know that if you are struggling in some of these areas, you are definitely not alone. And even if on the outside, everything's just moving along swimmingly, success, achievement, or maybe it's not, and you're like, oh, this explains why I'm feeling this way. In either case, what I found so interesting is the experience can be so similar. So the outward, the outward appearance can look different, but the inward experience can be the same. And so I just want to leave you with the encouragement that if you feel like some of this really resonated, Maybe listen again, jot some notes, journal about it, and then decide if talking to somebody would be helpful. Sometimes it's just a good friend. Other times it might be somebody that's a professional. Either way, I hope you know you're supported in this community and this is what More of What Matters is all about.